Two Hats family, welcome back to episode six of the Two Hats podcast, a community corrections, probation, parole, juvenile probation, pretrial services podcast. I'm your host, Chris, the tactical probation officer, and my wonderful co-host is Brittany, your favorite PL. And we're back with another great episode for you guys. So today's topic is how has COVID-19, a.k.a. the Rona, affected how we do our jobs as probation and parole officers? We have a great interview with you for you guys today with Eric. Uh, he's a probation officer. He's fairly new. I think he has less than three years on the job. So that'll be definitely interesting to uh, hear how he likes, likes this field. And uh, we're also going to talk about how COVID-19 has affected his job, how they do everything where he's at. So definitely stay tuned to the interview, and I hope you guys enjoy. All right, Two Hats family, we have Eric. He is our third guest who is a probation officer in Ohio. So uh, Ohio is pretty popular on this podcast. Um, We appreciate you coming here, Eric. We're going to start off with, we have two standard questions that we ask everyone. On the two-hat scale of one to ten, with one being a social worker and ten being a cop, where does your department fall on the two-hat scale? I'll say we fall right in the middle with a five. Five is five is good. Five is good. What made you decide to get into the probation field in general? Uh, it's kind of funny because I went to college to be either a deputy or some kind of other LEO and fell into a corrections job at a county jail and they kind of found me the probation office found me and I was like you know that sounds kind of cool so I checked it out and I don't want to do anything else now I actually just had my one year Saturday one year oh you're a baby okay yeah <laughs> we, got a, we got a newbie over here yeah the rookie that screws it all up so be ready you know 2020 with COVID quarantine like how has that experience been for you it's uh been a roller coaster I can tell you that started out with you know am I even going to keep this job are they going to be able to keep me to you know am I going to come to work one day and be told to stay home for two weeks two months or forever you know it was a really unexpected each day going in and really questioning myself I'm I just want to maintain my position or my health. <laughs> and now, are you back in the office full time? Are you seeing offenders in your office full time? Yeah, yeah. We actually never shut the office down. We uh, just limited our hours. We worked what we called skeleton crews, about three shifts with about three different officers, and they work about three hours of the day. Uh, I was in the afternoon one from 1.30 to 4.30 p.m., and so I had to squeeze in my... 10 people a day um, in that small gap. But yeah, we never shut down the office. We just stopped field visits, um, which resulted in a lot of warrants being written out because people don't like to come see your probation officer. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> so you were saying that uh, you guys are working with shifts. So if you're only in the office for three hours, what else do you expect you to do in the other five hours of your shift? Uh, we were at home and we would uh, keep notes on our either our work phone or on our laptop if we had one and get into the system that we use there. 
make calls, get updates over the phone. Um, if one of our probationers did end up quarantined from having the corona or being exposed, we had to make sure we noted that and counted the days that they would be off quarantine to make sure they get back in there, back on track. Uh, so a lot of it was the organizing at home and then seeing your people in the office. I gotta say, I'm pretty jealous, um, actually, of you and Brittany. I believe Brittany was able to work at home. We were never able to work at home. Um, it was either in the office or in the field. Um, but where I'm at, we um, they're actually encouraging us to be out in the. Uh, they actually encouraging us to be out in the field more. Um, all our monthly contacts, they actually want us to do them at the offender's house, um, outside, um, of course, more than six feet away, um, and then do it that way. Um, and then for a period of time, we weren't even allowed to go into their homes um, at all. Um, so it was actually, you know, definitely adjusting to, you know, coronavirus and the precautions is trying to be safe has definitely been a challenge, I think, for everyone in the field. Um, how about you, Bernie? How was your experience with having to deal with the Rona? Well, for us, we didn't have to make field contact at all for regular line officers. So we were strictly eight hours at home, just calling everybody over the uh, over the phone. And then they transitioned us to go back to the office, but we still were not seeing offenders in the office. It was still over the phone. And for, I think it was like for four months, we didn't do any field visits. And so as far as your analysis goes, or drug tests go, the offenders still had to do that. I know in some adjacent counties to mine, the offenders were not even taking drug tests. So, you know, everybody was going crazy <laughs> out there. Just, <laughs> game, you know? <laughs> Living their best lives out there. Yeah, with um, the so three-hour gap in the office, that's what we did with a lot of testing. <laughs> yeah, a lot of testing. But um, how, how, what kind of uh, precautions did you guys take in the office? Uh, we actually hired a cleaning crew to come through, kind of like what they're doing at the schools, coming in, spraying all that disinfectant stuff. Um, we had to wipe down all of our desks, all that, carry our own pens, because we kind of just had pens laying around for everybody to use. But carry your own pens, um, maintain six feet away from each other. Same with the clients. Don't, don't bring them into the actual office. Keep them in the lobby unless you absolutely need to see them. Um we weren't require, required to wear masks in there so we could smell the odor of any kind of alcohol or drugs. Uh, just really kept that distance and made sure we wash our hands after every interaction. We had hand sanitizer, like probably every square inch of the building. So we're uh, really precautious and knock on wood, nobody's gotten it or anything like that at all. So you're saying you guys didn't require them to wear masks at all? Yeah, unless we went out to the field. Wow. So you're in an enclosed area with somebody that could have it and you wouldn't know, and you guys didn't require them to wear masks at all. That sounds yeah. crazy. Yeah, we'd take their temperature with one of those thermometer guns through the glass before they came back. <laughs> wow. Well, I'm glad you guys haven't had any outbreaks and haven't had anybody oh, yeah. to... Uh, you know, get it. Did it, do you guys have a policy of what happens if somebody in your office does test positive? Yeah. So we have, uh, every officer had 80 hours, uh, I guess COVID leave, I guess you can call it. It doesn't take out of your vacation or sick or anything like that. 
So if you did have to quarantine for two weeks, you were covered. We are just now getting back into the field work. Well, tell me more about that. Um, well, it started out with the judges telling us, you know, no field work. We don't want you out in the field at all. And then they also told us no arrests unless it was absolutely necessary. So my two people I had in there for dirty urines uh, magically got put back out and then didn't want to report. So it was kind of like a, you know, thanks. You know, I had them locked up for a reason, but, you know, got to do what you got to do, I guess. They kicked over 200 people out of the jail. Um, so as the field work went on, uh, we would go out looking for people and have our masks and our gloves on and eye protection. And when we knock at the door, we would have to stay six feet away from the door when they open it. Um, which was kind of weird and difficult. They kind of opened the door and realized nobody was there. And we're like, wait a minute, we're over here. <laughs> and, uh, you know, knocking through windows and just talk to them through the window. We've done that a couple of times. Uh, we haven't gone inside any houses yet. I would love to see a video of this with the mask and the... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you get some weird looks. Now, do you guys do, uh, what is it? What's the word I'm looking for, Chris? Scheduled visits, or are they um, just random? We do both. Uh, we have scheduled visits for our more low-risk offenders. Um, our high-risk offenders, they have scheduled visits along with random. Uh, it's a call-in system. They have to call in before 9 a.m. every morning, and it will call it, tell them, you know, you're scheduled to report today or not. And uh, actually, this month, we are getting an eye scanner installed, and uh, it can be used to tip you if they're using any drugs or anything illegal. It scans their iris, and it'll tell you if they potentially have drugs in their system, which could lead to us testing them urine-wise. Wow, I've never heard of that before. I feel like a defense attorney would have, like, a field day with that. <laughs> well, uh, yeah. Can't wait to uh, see how that works out. But that's going to have a call-in system as well. The uh, reason we got that was just to limit even more contact. You know, they walk up to the machine, type in their last four, the social, whatever it is, and it scans their iris. And on the other side, it tells us if they potentially have drugs or not in their system. See, um the cold calling thing is a little is a little different. Like in drug, because I do drug court, and in drug court we do have a, a caller call system where um, the drug court clients have to call in every day, but it only tells them if they have to come in to do um, a drug test. So let's say you know a client's color is red, it'll call you know you call in, it'll say you know the color today is black or green or blue, then it's not your day. But we don't do that for our office appointments. Our office appointments we um, we give it to them a month in advance. Um, depending on their risk level or any kind of special conditions, they're either seen, you know, once a month or, uh, you know, bi-weekly or even once a week, depending on, you know, their risk level um, or any kind of special conditions that they have from the judge. Um, so the fact that you guys do a, a kind of a color call system for um, just office appointments, that's different. I've never heard that before, um, but that's interesting. That's definitely very interesting. What are your requirements for um, the home contacts pre-Rona? Like how often did you have to verify their address, do a pop-up on them? We actually didn't go in the field at all for any of that. 
we were strictly in office uh, when the pandemic first hit. All field work was called off. You were only in the office. What is, what, are, what is your field work requirements uh, when there isn't a pandemic? Uh, we really don't do a whole lot of field work. The only time we go out to field work is to verify an address. And once we do, it's done. Uh, we do go a lot of warrant looking. Um, we check in a lot on the DV people, um, domestic violence, uh, sexual cases, especially involving minors, making sure that there are no minors at that house. Or if we get a random tip of, you know, John Doe is uh, selling pills out of his basement, which we've had happen, it's kind of like, a, oh, well, let's go check that out. So, so how long were you on the job before the Rona hit? Uh, hired in November, so. Oh, wow. Oh. So I think about March is when it really hit off. So you had about five months? Yeah, four or five months. How does, the, how does the training work in Ohio? So when you first get hired, what kind of training do you guys undergo? Well, you go through the OPOTA certified uh, firearms training. And we also do a various uh, ohiocourt.edu classes on uh, searching vehicles, searching a person, contacting home visits, searching a home, um, court etiquette, stuff like that. Uh, we also had to do the ORAS training. Have you heard of the Ohio Risk Assessment System? Um, no, but is it just like a general uh, evidence-based risk management, uh, risk assessment type thing? I mean, every state has something. They call it different right. things. Yeah, um, I know back when I worked in juvenile, we had a, um, I can't remember the name for now because it's been almost three years since I've done juvenile, but we had a risk assessment that we had to go through with the, um, I think half of it we did with the juvenile, the other half we did with the parents, because clearly there'll always be a difference between what the juvenile will tell us and then what the parents will tell us. The juvenile, like, oh, I have no drugs problem at all, everything is good, I got all AIDS in school. And then you interview the parents, they're like, yeah, they're flunking every class, and he smokes weed all day, and just sits at home eating Doritos, you know, something like that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, every state has different kind of risk assessment tools that they use. Um, tell, us, tell us about what the risk assessment tool you guys use in Ohio. Uh, the Ohio Risk Assessment System, also known as ORAS, and uh, it kind of goes through their background if they've ever been incarcerated or been on supervision before. And then it goes through their like financial, are you working full time? How much free time do you have? Uh, and it's all scored out of zero, ones and twos. And at the end of it, you have your final score and the lower the number, the lower the risk level. And you got your moderates and your highs. Um, but I mean, it goes through a whole various of questions about yourself, your past and kind of your attitude towards life and your criminal thinking, if you have any. So what do you what do you envision things to look like for your office once, you know, once hopefully the pandemic's over or the restrictions get lifted? What do you think? think how do you think a finish is going to adjust to that with going kind of going back to a, a normal? Hmm. Uh, that's a tough question because I don't know normal yet in that office. <laughs> all, you, all you've uh, known is the Rona. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Yeah, um, hopefully normalcy will come quicker than we think, and uh, I can actually experience what normal is like. Being trained 
and everything over video has been a pain. I'm more of a hands-on person, um, especially with me being a courtesy supervision officer for other counties along with ICOTS. So um, I have a pretty large caseload that kind of got thrown at me really fast. Uh, I work a lot with the parole authority there in Ohio, adjacent counties, and even other states. So uh, I actually just had to put a national warrant out yesterday. So that was the first time I had to do one of those and I didn't know how to do it. <laughs> Spitballed it. <laughs> hey, Eric, for all, our, for all our listeners that doesn't, that do not know what ICOTS is, I-C-O-T-S, why don't you go ahead and explain to them what ICOTS is? So it's the Interstate, Interstate Compact Offender Tracking System. And uh, what we kind of say is, you know, it's one of those leave on vacation, come back on probation type deals where let's say John Doe is residing in Ohio, but he goes to visit Florida for vacation and picks up uh, B&E. Uh, I guess B&Es are popular on vacation. And so he- I mean, is, who doesn't want to break in something <laughs> when you're on vacation? Right, I mean, I guess he wanted that surfboard. But uh, so John Doe's in Florida, his charge convicted, and given two years of community control. But John Doe says, hey, I don't live in Florida, I live in Ohio. So at that point, Florida uh, probation will put in a request to Ohio saying, hey, can John Doe be watched by you guys while he's on this case here? And Ohio could say yay or nay, depending on um, circumstances of where is, is he actually living there? What kind of credibility do you have that he lives there and is going to be working there and resides there? And so Ohio would take him and watch him for the two years that Florida had him and the rest is history. Talk about rapport, building rapport, how it's different doing that during COVID versus, you know, seeing your offenders more regularly and face to face. It's definitely a little different, especially with the um, wearing the mask. Like in my jurisdiction, we have to wear a mask all the time so in the in the office you have to wear a mask um which we're not really letting we're not really seeing offenders in the office but we can now at first we couldn't at all um everything had to be in the field and i think the reason why is because they didn't want any kind of um any outbreaks in the office and they have to you know, pay people to come through and clean and disinfect so they just didn't say they said nobody in the office everybody out in the field um, you know, only come to the office, put your notes in, go to your own individual office, close the door, put your notes in, you know, do it like that. But now they, they, are, they are letting us allow some people back into the office. So if, you know, if you have to do a drug test, um, which are, they're limiting to those who, you know, the offenders that we do drug tests. And then um, if there's any, uh, if there's like a safety issue where you don't feel comfortable going to that person's house, cause you know, it's a little shady. There's a lot of people there. It might not be a safe environment. Then you're going to require them to come to the office. Um, but it is, it is difficult because like I said, we're all wearing a mask. So, um, you know, it's hard for the offender to really know what you look like because you're wearing a mask all the time. Um, in addition, we do have to, we do only time we make them take a mask off is when we're taking their pictures when they first get on probation. Then we they have to take their mask off so we can take a, a picture of them for their file. Um, or if they, let's say they look drastically different than what's the photo that we have in the file, let's say they you know they cut their hair off or they grew a beard or something like that, then we make them take a new picture and we got to take their mask off for that. But um, 
I think part of it also too is us not being able, being able to go into our homes, really being able to look around, see what um, the residence looks like. Uh, we were kind of talking about this in one of our previous episodes, you know, where you want to you want to know, you know, is the house dirty? What's the rapport with the offender and his family? Um, and we're really missing a lot of that, um, and especially when we're going to their homes and we're seeing them outside. You know, of course, there's always people around and. You know, you have to constantly, you know, pay attention to the offender for officer safety, but you also have to pay attention to your environment, um, make sure there's nobody, you know, trying to come up on you. Um, so it is, it's different. It's definitely different. Um, and one of the things Eric was saying was about um, the judge letting a lot of people out of jail. Um, I don't know how it was down in Texas, but they let, where I'm at, they let a lot of people out of jail. Um it was kind of like they just came in one day and they just emptied the jail out. And unless you were there for like a serious crime, like a murder or rape or something like that, they were just yeah. unsecuring bonds left and right. And then, of course, you know, on the probation side, we're dealing with it because now they're getting out. It was unexpected. So it wasn't like they got out. Someone was like, oh, hey, on this date, they're, you know, we're going to release a bunch of people. So we would go talk to them, say, hey, listen, when you get out, you need to come report. Hey, make sure I have your right address or anything like that. It was like one day they were in the jail. Next day you get to work, you log in the computer, and you get alerts saying all these people were released. Now we're out there in the streets trying to find them, trying to go back to the last known residence, trying to get them to get into compliance, trying to get them to come report. And it's hard. Um, you know, a lot of them were locked up for a long time. Like Eric was saying, they want to go back to what they were doing, go back to the drugs they were using. Um, so, yeah, it's just different. It's different. How about you, Brittany? How in Texas? Were they, were they emptying the jails out down there? I mean, they they did. They did. Yeah. It's kind of similar situation as to what you described. And it was kind of weird that they weren't even locking people up who had active warrants, you know, who were not previously incarcerated, but they had these probation violation warrants or new charges and they just wouldn't arrest them. I'm like, dang, really? Y'all need to come get these people. <laughs> it was tough. It was tough. Yeah, it was definitely tough because um we would like arrest somebody in a violation and the magistrate just give them unsecure bond. It's like we just did all this work, did all this paperwork, found a violation, getting a warrant, going out looking for them, got them. Take them to the jail. You walk them in. You walk them in the back through the Sally Port. They walk out in the front. <laughs> I had I had a I had a guy meet, beat me back to my own office <laughs> just to yell at me for locking him up. Like, sir, why'd you waste my time? They just let me out anyway. You know, right? I'm like, well, technically, I didn't lock you up because they let you out. So technically, if you want to be technical, I didn't lock you up. But. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, come see, come see me next week. And of course, then he did it. So we had to go through the cycle again. Um, but what, what about you, Eric? How do you how do you are you are, have you been able to build that professional relationship with your what do you guys call them? Clients, offenders, defendants? What do you guys call them over in Ohio? Yeah, just probationers. Probationers. Have you been yeah. able to um you know really build that relationship, that professional relationship where you kind of you know set the rules and you know, kind of build that, kind of build some trust where they kind of let you in, let them know what their problems are. Have you been able to do that with Dorona? Yeah. See, uh, so I'm in a unique situation. I worked at the same county jail that I'm now at a probation officer at. So a lot of the guys that are on probation, I knew from the jail. Uh, it was kind of funny seeing the people come in on probation. They look at me and I just kind of look at them. It's like, I know you remember me. Like, yeah, but what are you doing over here now? It's like, 
<laughs> upgrades. Upgrades, okay. Um, Moving on up. Right, right. But uh, a lot of them, you know, congratulated me, uh, were actually happy to see me in the probation side, uh, told me that, you know, that jail wasn't where I needed to be. And, uh, you know, from the get-go, they're pretty open about everything because I already knew everything that they've done. I mean, they're in jail. I knew what they were charged with. Um, so it was, it was pretty cool to build that relationship pretty quick with a lot of them, you know. They'll come in and kind of migrate towards my desk, which I'm not the you, most social the, person. You're the favorite PO in your office, huh? Depends. <laughs> <laughs> I'm also I'm also the one that uh, gets all the warrants dropped at his desk. So no, sometimes Uh-oh. not. <laughs> it's like, so oh, you know him well. Yeah, you can get arrest him. You know him. It's like, thanks. So you said you, handle, <laughs> you said you handle ICOTS cases and what else? Courtesies. Okay, so when they come in, they come, they come from another county, and they live in your county. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Another one of those go on vacation, come back on probation. How does it work for you when they're violating? Uh, let's let's start with uh, in the state. So let's say the county they came from, they came to your county to live. And they're violating. What's the, what's the process, or how how do you deal with that? Well, unfortunately, I can't arrest them without a warrant from the county they're on probation on. So just recently, uh, two count or one county, two t- different people. Uh, I had a couple of their guys that didn't want to stop smoking weed, and the other one is playing the COVID system, which is remarkable how he does it. Um. And I'll just have what to send that, them what in. What does that mean, playing the COVID system? Oh, man. So he will get, he will go get tested for Corona. You know, after I caught him dropping dirty with Molly and ecstasy and weed and meth and you name it, he used it. And uh, he went and got tested for Corona. And it would come back negative, of course, but he was mandated to quarantine for 14 days. Well, on that last day of quarantine, he'll go get tested again and get mandated to quarantine for 14 more days. And then eventually I lost all contact with him. And now <laughs> I don't know where he's at. <laughs> I know a lot of them are doing that in my area. Yes. Yeah, yeah there's definitely a lot of that. And I feel like if I was to... probation, I probably would have did it too, honestly. <laughs> Oh yeah. oh yeah it's like perfect i would have caught one of them 50 dollar plane tickets to florida and see ya. <laughs> see that's what makes you a good po uh because you, you think like them <laughs> hey i'm just being real you know I'm just being real. i understand i understand all right so you were saying that um so if they're they have to get a uh they have they need a warrant from the other county so how do you go about that process uh, I talked to a probation officer of the county that's they have the case with. I'll talk to that probation officer and tell him, hey, John Doe isn't doing what I told him to do. Here's all of his positive tests. You know, he's coming by weekly and you won't stop smoking dope. What do you want to do? Or, you know, I kinda, I'll, I'll do one of those like, you know what I want to do, but what do you want to do type <laughs> scenarios at them. 
And of course, they're like, well, we'll put a warrant out for them. I'll just tell them, all right, fax it over to me and uh, I'll go get that taken care of. Do you deal with any counties? I know uh, when I used to do juvenile, we did a lot of courtesies because um, my county is south of um, Pittsburgh. And we would do, we'd get a lot of cases from Pittsburgh, which is clearly a larger, ci- larger city, a large population. And we would deal with a lot of, hey, you know, your, your, your person is messing up, messing up. And they'll be like, he's your problem now. Do you get a lot? Do you get any of that? Yeah, I had one like that until uh, the guy went back to their county and caught another trespassing charge and felonious assault trying to run someone over. And kind of threw the, well, whose problem is he now? Card at her? Exactly. They should have listened to you the first time. You said the violation report. Most people don't ever want those cases back. They're like, once they're gone, oh, that's it. Don't call mm-hmm. me. Don't email me. None of that. I don't want to <laughs> hear my <laughs> Unless like, they die, don't it? email me. <laughs> oh, we, we wash our hands off him. <laughs> right. yeah. This is still your case. <laughs> it's still your case. Still on your docket. Um, okay, how about ICOTS? What's the, uh, the violation process for ICOTS for those that don't know? Um... Well, I just had one recently. He uh, disappeared on a receiving state, uh, sentenced in Ohio, and we sent him to Indiana. And he just disappeared. Indiana couldn't find him anymore. So they requested to close the case due to absconsion. Uh, Absconsion is when you can't find them. They stopped reporting. They're just gone. And so I have to follow order to the judge for a national warrant along with suspending probation at said time and then get back with Indiana and tell them, hey, the warrant's out, close the case, and I'll have to ask Indiana to take him back if we ever find him. So you put a warrant out through uh, NCIC? Yes. Okay. Okay. We got we got to get you in contact with um with Andrew out in Indiana. I'm pretty sure he'll go find him. <laughs> He's, oh, yeah. He's, yeah, he's a, he's an eight on the two hat scale. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> He'll go get them for you. That's what I need. I know when uh, the pandemic uh, lifts, they're already telling me that uh, we'll probably be an eight out of 10 on, on that scale. Um, they kind of are getting all the warrants lined up and everything. And, you know, being the young guy there, they kind of hand that stuff off to me. I'm the youngest one there by 10 years. Wow. Don't you just love that? I love that for you. Being the youngest <laughs> around the office, that's like the best. New, a new kid on the block, what can I say? I, I was going to say, I understand, because when I when it, back in P, uh, PA, working as a juvenile officer, when I came in, I was definitely one of the youngest officers. And every, it kind of seems like everyone kind of gets there, they get cushy, and they don't want to leave. And of course, the longer they're there, and the less field work and warrants and searches, those kind of things they want to do. They just kind of want to, they want to slide on the scale from a five to a four to a three to a one. And they just want to, you know, kind of be cushy and just kind of deal with that stuff. Um, So I definitely understand being young and wanting to be out there. Um, How, how do you guys, how does your department work with local law enforcement? They will have your back regardless. You know, there's been times where, because uh, we don't have radios in the field. We uh, just have our cell phones. So if things go south, you just have to hurry up and dial your city or county number and hope they pick up. 
so there was a time where that's happened and uh, we're in a house and uh, they say, well, he's in the basement going crazy. Well, what do you mean by crazy? Well, he has a knife and he's on that. Great. So we call the city and we're like, hey, we need a couple officers out here, you know, now. And the next minute, two more officers showed up and it worked out really well. Um, no questions asked or anything. They just, I mean, as soon as we made the call, it seemed like sirens were flying to us. It was awesome to know that you got people like that on your side. Now, was this a small town? It's a pretty large city. Oh, okay. Okay. Uh, I know back in PA, the jurisdictions I worked with, um, they were kind of small and some were more bored than others, where if we called them, I mean, you would get half the shift would come because they have nothing else to do. Um, Yeah. uh, But you said you had some bad experiences working with local law enforcement. Tell us about that. Uh, I actually haven't had a bad one yet. I just know there's a lot of friction between the uh, supervisors and brass between my department, the county, and the city. Was there was there a situation or something that happened that caused this uh, friction? No, it's just kind of an ongoing thing. Uh, I know when I worked at the county, it just seemed like anybody the city brought in uh, were just very upset about everything. And there would be times where the city officers were, you know, kind of standing behind me as I'm trying to intake them, making gestures or, you know, just being unprofessional and impolite and just really rude. Like, I understand that you may have to have, you know, hard time getting this guy in cuffs or he's giving you attitude or problems or even physical. I get that. But you got to maintain that professionalism. And sometimes they don't always have it. I don't know if I understand. I feel like there's more you want to tell us and you're, you're trying to hold back because I'm really trying to get to understand <laughs> where this uh, this disconnect you guys have between your department and the locals. Is it is it because the locals have more expectations of you guys than what you guys are willing to do or able to do? Or is it, you know, they've called upon you f- to help them with something and it just didn't go the way they expected? We we just have uh, we respect people a little bit better than what they do. So when we call them out, it's always a hit or miss on a, you know, are they going to escalate it or are they going to help us de-escalate it? Okay. When you say, when you say uh, respect with people, you're talking about the offenders. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, see, that's see, that's the difference. Kind of like what we're talking about in uh, Brittany with our first episode. Um, how. Actually, might actually think it was our second episode where a police officer might only interact with an offender maybe one time, and you know we got to interact with them. You know, depending on our supervision level, once a week, twice a week, you know, twice a month, once a month, yeah. we have to see them so much more. So we need to have that professional relationship, not only for our own safety, right? Because that professional relationship builds builds is a state is an officer safety concern. Um, you know, if you treat somebody disrespectfully. You can't expect that when you're on their turf doing that home contact, verifying an address, that they're going to, you know, be pleasant with you. Um, Where, like I said, the cops don't have to deal with that, but we do because we're seeing them way more. We're going into their homes way more than they are. Um, So definitely. uh, But do you feel that if you (laughs) 
feels weird saying pick up the phone and make that call because we have I've always had a radio, even in juvenile and here where I'm at now, we've always had radios. But um if you make that call, do you feel that they're they're gonna come? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's that's one thing. No matter how much friction is between anybody, they're they're gonna come. They're, they're is there a reason? Is there a reason you guys don't have radios or is just, is it a budget thing? Is it, they don't feel you need it? I think more of a budget thing and uh, we won't use it that often. Like you said, it's a lot of old schools in there that get comfortable with that two or three out of 10. So we don't do as much field work as we could, but like my partner and I, uh, he actually came from the jail with me and uh, we do a lot of stuff together when we if he goes out i'm going with him and vice versa we just go together all the time and we've already been talking about you know hey we gotta at least get some walkie talkies with something because when i'm standing in the backyard and you're in the front can't see each other you know we've had some times where you know uh, actually just a couple weeks ago i knock on the front door and he's standing in the back trying to verify an address, which turned out not being the right address. And I found out the hard way with the guy yelling at me and trying to get in my six foot space. Mm-hmm. He wasn't social distancing. And, um, you know, I'm sitting there like, Oh, I'm here by myself. If something happens, my partner's going to find out 10 minutes later after he comes out of the backyard. So, you know, it's kind of like a, you know, radio would make me feel a little more comfortable, even if I could just talk to who I'm out there with, not necessarily the whole county. Oh, wow. What about you, Brittany? Do you guys ever, do you guys have radios? I know you, have, I know you guys never had much for uh, safety, but do you guys have radio? Um, In the beginning, we did not. We just had our cell phones, but a couple years into me being there, we did get radios only in, what, we did have those two. Yeah, we had radios in the car. And we had the little handheld radios to take to the door or whatever. Okay. So we basically would check in when you get to your offender's house over the radio to let dispatch and everybody know that you're arriving. And then when whenever you leave, you check back in, let them know I'm leaving and going to the next spot, basically. So yeah, I think it did feel a lot better having that as opposed to before when we just had our cell phones and our partner, like, because I mean, you see me, and then I would go out in the field with another female. I'm like, I didn't feel all that secure. I'm just not going to lie to you. But <laughs> it felt a little bit better to have those radios. Oh, how's the pay in, in your area? It pays pretty, I mean, a lot better than where I was at. I'm I'm happy with it. Uh, definitely above average. Um, above average for probation officers across the country or above average for jobs in your area? What's the average across the country? I found that in talking to so many officers across the east and the west and all the coasts, that average is like 40,000 or 38,000 starting. Yeah, we're slightly above average. Okay. That's good. And you should be because it sounds like you do a lot of work, like a whole lot. Yeah, I try. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I might as well work hard. I'm, I might as well work hard before the blood pressure catches up. So, yeah. So kudos right. to you for getting it done. Yeah, Thank you. Especially being so young and so new to the job and putting putting all the work in and showing the uh, showing the old timers what they're missing. <laughs> I try. I think that's one advantage I do have with the young probationers is uh, you know, 
I, I, I don't give them a dad talk per se. Yeah. I, I can talk to somebody in my generation more level than somebody that was been in there for 20 years already. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know, like, the older offenders, they don't want to talk to you because you're young. <laughs> so like, oh, I, I can tell you, I can't tell you how many times I've gotten, oh, I've got kids older than you. What do you know? And it's just kind of like, a, here we yeah. go. <laughs> I know these conditions. I know these violations. That's what I, I know. Always, I always tell them, well, I mean, how old are you when you had your first charge? 21, well, I'm 25, and haven't had one. So I kind of hope you'd listen. Exactly. No, I'm looking out for your best interest. I don't know why you're mad at me. Because <laughs> you're the only face they see in that moment, so they have to let it out on you. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah. yeah. Tell them I didn't put you on probation, and you get yeah. my probation's on you. I'm just, I'm just the middleman. Yeah, that's what I tell them. I tell them, you know, we don't have a draft or anything. I, I didn't ask you to be here. I just woke up one day and your file was on my desk. Yep. Exactly. That's it, um, that's all. Now I remember you were saying that you 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 wanted to be a deputy or uh, or a cop. What? How do you feel now, a year in, to being a probation officer, dealing with these two hats? Is, do you still feel like you kind of want to do that, or are you happy with your decision? There's some days I do, uh, but my overall goal was to be a community officer. I even said in college when I was pursuing to be a deputy or LEO of some sort that I wanted to be involved with the community. Um, I don't know if you guys know him, but like Tommy Norman, uh, very popular on Instagram. You know, that was someone I try to model myself after for the longest time. You know, he's in touch with the community. People see him and feel safe. They see him and feel that he can be a positive change in the community. And that's really what I was striving for. And as I got my job as a probation officer, I found myself as a good fit of, you know, I have more influence to change in this position than I would just on the road. Um, because when you're on the road, you don't always run into people that want to change. Uh, not saying that everyone on probation wants to neither, but you have a better chance of finding somebody that does. And that's the ultimate goal to, you know, be that change agent. Um, and I just want to ask you, what equipment are you guys issued? Uh, vest, handcuffs, and duty weapon. No non-lethal? No, unfortunately. Okay. But I, got I, I don't miss the smell of OC spray. <laughs> so basically, you, you go hands or gun, ain't nothing in between. Yeah, and I'm more likely going to go hands first with my tr previous training. <laughs> I understand Understand. Uh, I always say if I can go my whole career without ever having to draw my weapon, I that's going to be the perfect career. Oh man, trust me, you will. Uh, you will. You won't get there. Um, I mean, when you're doing searches, um, you're you're always going to get that one knucklehead that's going to try something. Unfortunately, yeah. um, I think I I think I've drawn my gun more for doing clearing buildings and doing searches than you know for actual. Uh, possible use of deadly force or anything like that so what is going to be the overall goal of these podcasts i think the ultimate goal is kind of what we start out with day one which is building this community supervision community corrections probation parole pretrial services juvenile probation family um where we can you know 
teach others um, that are already in the field about how things are done in different places. I've learned so much from this podcast, um, just talking with, you know, um, absconder officers, talking to mental health officers, talking to sex offender officers. I've learned a lot myself. Um, and I definitely enjoy being able to share my experiences with the family too. Uh, but I think the ultimate goal is just to keep building that relationship um, keep being a conduit for others to learn, to um, hopefully encourage others that want to come and join us. You can't be stealing my thunder, Chris, okay? I have a YouTube channel. It's called Your Favorite P.O., okay? And on that channel, <laughs> I give tips and, you know, little tricks on how to get that interview and all of that stuff. So I'm going to need you to go check it out, okay? Thank you. Your Favorite P.O. on YouTube. Yes, that was a shameless plug. And no, I'm not sorry about it. <laughs> uh, yeah but you lean more towards being on the offender side we're kind of trying to bring people into the community <laughs> i'm trying to bring people into the community too <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah that's that's really our goal and hopefully we're getting there um you know we brought you into our family and we appreciate you eric for um you know volunteering to do this interview you know give us your time um, we appreciate the fact that you are so candid and open, um, and we hope you stick with us. We hope you don't leave us to go, you know, be a deputy somewhere, sit in a car in the freezing, the freezing cold somewhere. Uh, we hope you stay with us and continue to be that change agent that um, that these offenders need. Eric, we appreciate you, man. Um, hey, thanks for having me. Hey, make sure you tell all your coworkers, get them to uh, to subscribe. Um, definitely get them leave some comments. Um, get them to follow us. I know they're old. They probably don't have Instagram. <laughs> but definitely no, try to get. They probably got MySpace. Yeah. <laughs> Hotmail. <laughs> Hold on now. Oh. Don't don't handle Hotmail. <laughs> Hotmail's still around. Does that still work? Now it's all Gmail. Oh uh, yeah. yeah, Hotmail did become Gmail. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right, Eric. Thank you, man. We appreciate you. No problem. Y'all stay safe. Hey, you too, man. Bye. That was a great interview with Eric. I'm so happy he was able to be here with us. We did learn a lot from him. Being the newbie in the office, I know how that feels. It was kind of recent for me. But I want you guys to leave any comments, any questions that you have in the comment section below. Because for next week's episode, we are answering everybody's questions on air. So please tune in Wednesday, same time, same place. Chris? Yes, thank, uh, definitely. Thank you again to Eric. We appreciate him. Um, we also are up on Spotify, too, under the Two Hats um, podcast. So definitely check us out there. We'll continue to post to YouTube. Um, and as you guys can see, it's audio only. So it's easy if you're in the car. Just, you know, when I knew when that, when that, uh, you get a notification, just turn us on, listen to us on the way to work, uh, listen to us when you're in the office doing your, you know, typing up your violations. Um, definitely just, you know, hear us out. And like I said, we are on Spotify now. So you can also listen to us on that platform. So thank if you again. In being featured on our Instagram page, Two Hats Podcast, please send us a direct message on Instagram or leave a comment down below with your email address and we will get back to you. All right. Thanks, family. You guys be safe out there. Stay away from the Rona. <laughs>